Again, this is Talking Animals of Duncan Strauss. My guest is Patrice Jones, co-founder of the Vine Sanctuary. Vine standing here for veganism is the next evolution. Vine is located in Vermont and, as we're hearing about, describes itself as an LGBTQ-run farm sanctuary and seeing how that works and what might distinguish it from other farm sanctuaries you've heard about or even been to. And we invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. So I want to get into a couple other things shortly, Patrice, but I'm just curious, over the years with having all the animals are not really segregating them generally, at least by species, were there things that you saw and learned, I mean, apart from like Domino being obviously kind of a a social director of sorts, but were there other behaviors that that unfolded that with the way that you had the animals housed that shaped further how you house them? Like, oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Look, um, when 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 Miriam Jones and I first started what was initially a chicken sanctuary. We thought really hard um, about, you know, what we would want, uh, what we wanted to do, what would be the right thing to do. Um, and we decided that our, that our motto would be, let birds be birds. In other words, that we would recognize that uh, chickens are genetically almost indistinguishable from the wild jungle fowl of South Asia, uh, from whom all uh, modern chickens descend. Um, and that just like dogs, um, what they need more than anything is other dogs. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, birds need other birds and bird trees and birds need brush. And, and that we would, that we would give them, uh, that we would, that our role would be to set up a circumstance, um, in which they could become their bird self, uh, with, uh, and, and, and forge flocks and have relationships with each other and do the things that birds want to do and pursue the projects that birds want to pursue. And that we, uh, that our role would be to sort of create the, the situation in which that could evolve. Um, and, and, that, and that we would be delighted, that we would be sincerely happy um, if some of them wanted to be friends with us, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but that we would make no effort to tame anyone. Yeah. That we would make no effort to to foreground relationships with humans. Um, that we would stay in the background as much as possible. Uh, and, and so that's what we did, and we carried that ethos over uh, when we expanded to start to uh, let cows be cows, mm-hmm. let goats be goats. Yeah. And um, and and of course, then we're we're observing the whole time. So I, I mentioned earlier the uh, uh, that we became the first sanctuary to figure out a, a method of, of rehabilitating roosters using cockfighting. Yeah. That could not possibly have happened um, were it not for uh, the circumstance in which uh, uh, literally two dozen roosters uh, who had been uh, living together uh, in uh, another state, uh, having been seized over the years by a humane officer who had nowhere else to place them and just kept taking them home home uh, and then lost her land. Uh, so they came to us and they'd all been living together and sleeping in the trees and going into an open barn when the weather was bad. And um, and then they moved in with us. Mm. And uh, these included many quite elder roosters. And, and so by observing them, we were able to see how it is that roosters uh, maintain the peace among themselves in a healthy flock. Uh, and, and then we were able to conceptualize what it would be that roosters used in cockfighting who are raised in isolation. Um, and never learn the social signals that other roosters use to resolve conflicts. What they would need um, in order to become able uh, to live in flocks as, as these wonderful uh, uh, birds were already doing. Um, and so uh, they are clearly, in my mind, the co-creator of that method, uh, even though like, I'm credited with it. Uh, because I, wouldn't poss- I couldn't possibly have figured that out 
uh, without knowing them and observing them. And then uh, the process itself uh, involves uh, putting uh, new roosters in a situation where they can observe uh, the roosters who are already at the sanctuary getting along and learn by observation those behaviors which they couldn't possibly learn from a human. No, it seems like there's really a running theme of whereas other experiences or other places they might have behaviors that are kind of suppressed or forced in some ways. It's This is uh, allowing them to relax, to express their more natural behaviors to the extent they can, and then see what happens from there as, as again, as birds become birds or allow, are allowed to be birds. Right, right. But some process oftentimes, just with humans, as just as with humans, right? Some of us who have had, um, uh, whether, whether we've had... Uh, social isolation or neglectful situations where we, we didn't have the opportunity to learn the social skills you need to get along in the world or perhaps we have um, early trauma in our lives yeah um, and so then we don't quite know how to act um, and we and, and sometimes we act badly um, so I'm not yeah. saying that's never true that's yeah. often true um, sure. folks are folks are coming to us from um, you know really horrific situations uh, but what's lovely um, at this point is you know we have this stable uh, Pacific uh, community or, or in the case of some of the birds there are several flocks so communities uh, in which uh, folks have figured out how to get along together. And so um, when new folks come, you know, they learn uh, they learn more from the other non-human animals, I think, than they do from us. Yeah. I mean, over time, they, they certainly do learn to trust us more than they trust other humans. But we don't really make a big deal out of that because how they feel about humans is really not the most important thing in their lives. Uh, you know, what's important is are, are, are they able to have self-selected relationships, either within their own species or, like us, many many animals enjoy cross-species friendships. Yeah. Um, do they have the opportunity to pursue their own projects? But w- what I've noticed is Domino, I just selected as one. He's not the only uh, uh, non-human community member who, has, uh, who plays a, a really important role in socializing new members. Uh, among the cows, uh, there's Rose, uh, who's been here many, many, many years, but came originally uh, after, uh, after a long stint at a dairy mm. and uh, she is uh, she and, and Autumn came together and Autumn is sort of the matriarch of the special needs herd so she's sort of the um, rule enforcer um, but uh, and, and and Rose is sort of like the, the emotional leader um, and so uh, oftentimes if someone new is, is here you'll, you'll see Rose go over to them and uh, yeah I want to use all these metaphors that aren't suitable for cows like lend a helping hand or put them <laughs> under her wing yeah um, but but what she's doing is offering it's quite clear that what she's doing is offering offering empathy and care, mm-hmm. but also some instruction, like here's how we do things here. Yeah, let me show you um, the ropes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there are, there are, you know, in each of the different herds or flocks, there are, there are individuals who have, um, who have taken on various leadership roles. And, and we really recognize um, that um, while the humans are getting all the credit, um, really they are the co-creators of this community, um, and uh, which couldn't be what it is without, without their um, labor. And, and love. Yeah, let me ask you this then, Patrice, in light of what you're describing there. When the pandemic forced all kinds of restrictions on all kinds of mm-hmm. places and people, how did that affect or maybe hamper, if it did, vine and, and the animals in the way that you're otherwise right. describing now? I mean, uh, we, we were pretty lucky in that Vermont uh, was, for the, most of the pandemic, the safest state in the entire United States uh, yeah, with the government and low rates, etc. Um, cooperative people for the most part. Uh, of course, 
like everyone else, we uh, you know had some long-standing donors who lost their jobs and had to refrain from supporting us anymore. Uh, but we also had some donors who who uh, who realized that we were going through that, and so they gave a little more, and it all sort of just balanced out. Um, we're, we've been chronically underfunded, um, in part because of being, I think, an LGBTQ-led organization that does mm. things a little differently. Um, so we're still chronically underfunded. What we're underfunded at about the same level we were underfunded. We didn't get even worse underfunded okay. during, during the pandemic. <laughs> um, well, but what we did realize was that on the site of the sanctuary itself, and you don't need to, I mean, there was all sorts of drama with the feed store setting down, shutting down and oh, having to buy yeah. months worth of food and find places to store it and the, the great sunflower seed shortage uh, uh, <laughs> that lasted for months. Oh, wow. Uh, but uh, for the most part, you know, that, those were just stresses that the humans here were dealing with. I was worrying about the money. Cheryl was worrying about where we're going to find black oil sunflower seeds. Uh, but uh, for the most part, on site at the sanctuary, life received as normal. Mm. And so we actually uh, decided that what, what our job needed to be was extend that care outward to people for whom uh, the um, the pandemic was, was creating all sorts of stress and grief. So uh, during uh, when the lockdowns first started, uh, we we went into a period that lasted for a couple months where we were doing daily live streams, uh, which we normally don't do, wow. uh, just to give people a, 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 an opportunity uh, to tune in to the larger-than-human world, to see animals just on a regular Monday, and to soothe their um, stress a little bit. Mm-hmm. We also did um, more e- email newsletters than we would normally do. We did daily ones for a while, uh, but that was not sustainable. Yeah. Uh, we uh, share the head of our animal care team sewed, I don't even know how many hundreds of masks, which we then mailed out mm. to people doing vegan uh, food relief in Baltimore and in New York City um, and some other places. Uh, we, we sewed masks that were given out at our public library. Uh, so that that's pretty much how we handled the pandemic. Oh, and then we did move. The one thing that was an innovation that will stay is that we did find that suddenly our efforts to do online educational programming, which we've been trying to do for years without people really being interested or tuning in. Mm-hmm. Uh, now everybody knows how to use Zoom. Yeah. Um, we, and so our we actually did, I don't even know, we did like three or four times the number of events we would normally do in a year in, in 2020. And, and many of them are things that we are continuing. So we started an online book club uh, that now continues and will continue. I do an online support group for staff at other sanctuaries that continues That's great. Uh, and oh and, and and our humane education we always offered it online but there weren't that many schools or libraries that tuned in but now we have uh i don't know there's a we're doing humane ed for a high for a elementary school in new zealand and wow having a virtual field trip for kids in chicago <laughs> um it's just it's uh, all online now big yeah, time it's yeah, like everybody's really embraced it now. yeah right so we've really embraced that and that's going to continue so speaking oh. of online sorry uh I didn't mean to jump in, but we're almost at the end of our time. Sure. And there was one of the emails that came in I did want to read. It's a little bit long, but I think this might be perhaps the, the final word or close to it of today's conversation. Okay. But it says, I'm a proud supporter of Vine Sanctuary, meeting Patrice at an animal rights conference, opened my eyes to the intersectionality of speciesism, sexism, and racism, all the isms. I know of no harder working sanctuary. Animals at Vine live their lives 
as intended and create family and friends with other species. Vine residents are loved and cared for beyond measure. Vine's way of operating and their message is critical to the survival of all sentient beings, two legs and four fur, fin, feathers or skin. Hearing Patrice is always enlightening and I appreciate your having her as a guest. I hope your other listeners will read about Vine, check out their live streams and consider ways to support their work. That's from P. Elizabeth Anderson. So that says, I think, quite a bit. And if we weren't <laughs> yeah. at the end of our time, we would talk about outreach and uh, beyond what you've talked about okay, in terms well, of online. Outreach, can I just say that we, we are doing a Pride Month vegan challenge and it's not too late to sign yourself up or to sign a friend up. And you can just go to rainbowvegan.org okay. uh, to sign up to eat the rainbow. Wow. I like it. Well, what we otherwise would have talked about, and we will next time, is the speaking that you do at conferences and elsewhere, which is a whole other fantastic and fascinating topic, but we've kind of reached the end of our time for today. So, Patrice, thank you so much. We've been speaking with Patrice Jones from Vine. Again, acronym for veganism is the next evolution. Vine Sanctuary, I think, is among the the websites, right? That's still the current website. I guess the new one's under construction. Right. Or um, uh, rainbowvegan.org. Right. Cool. All right, Patrice, thank you so much, and we'll uh, speak to you again soon, and uh, thanks uh, for joining us once again on Talking Animals. Thank you, Duncan. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. In a moment, we'll hear from uh, Natalie Gill, who lives and works in Brazil at the behest of Sea Shepherd Conservation Society, and in an interview recorded last night, she explains a new Sea Shepherd campaign announced a few days ago that's designed to protect the river dolphins of the Amazon River and help their population rebound. Right now, though, we're going to step into the comedy corner with a farm-related piece and a nod to our conversation we just completed with Patrice Jones. This, in fact, is part of a piece called Farming 101 by Drew Hastings in today's Comedy Corner on Talking Animals on WMNF. I lived out there for a month before I figured out that red stick on my mailbox wasn't a country 911 system. I... <laughs> it is not easy. I'm going to make it work. I don't give a... I'm not... Uh, livestock, that's my dream. Livestock, man. <laughs> But I'll tell you what, people think it's easy, you read up on it, and it's, no, uh-uh. My first deal, I got ripped off. <laughs> I bought a herd of black Angus hogs, right? <laughs> I thought they looked short coming off the truck. <laughs> Pygmy cattle my ass. <laughs> I've tried growing crops, but... <laughs> You'd find more cornrows on an NFL team than I could pull off my land. Uh, so I called Mr. Grimes. He's the county ag agent for my county. You know, like the Mr. Kimball dude, right? And I call him. He comes out, you know, takes soil samples, talks to me extensively about my background. Well, he tells me the best thing for me to plant is a for sale sign in the front yard. That was Drew Hastings in today's Comedy Corner with part of a piece called Farming 101, taken from his album Irked and Myth. Now it's time to hear my brief conversation with Natalie Gill about the new Sea Shepherd campaign, which aims to protect the river dolphins of the Amazon. Speaking from Brazil via Zoom last night, this is Natalie Gill on Talking Animals on WMNF. 
So thanks for joining us on the show, Natalie. Thank you, Duncan. Yeah, thank, well, thanks for joining us from Brazil, more, more to the point. How long have you been in Brazil? Well, I am Brazilian, actually. <laughs> ah, okay, so a native. Yes, I am. Exactly. Okay, great. And what sort of presence does Sea Shepherd have there in Brazil? Well, Brazil is one of the uh, chapters of Sea Shepherd that has some um, activities, some, some uh, cleanup activities and educational activities uh, on shore, uh, such as what you see in uh, France, in uh, Australia, Germany, and so on. And yeah, now we're about to embark into a uh, campaign together with Sea Shepherd Global. It's the first one that is happening in Brazil. So it's getting a little bit more uh, important, let's see, for the, let's say, for the global Sea Shepherd movement. Yeah. Sure. So tell me about uh, this new campaign. It was just announced two, three days ago, I guess, by Captain Watson. Tell us a little bit about it and how it works. So yeah, we have uh, two species of river dolphins uh, here in Brazil, which are quite iconic. Uh, the Amazon River Dolphin and the Tukushi uh, Dolphin. And uh, both of them were recently um, considered by the IUCN as uh, threatened for extinction. And we we are partnering with uh, the Research Institute, the National Institute of Research of Amazonia, who uh, said to us that actually they should be uh, considered critically endangered by uh, the way things uh, look at their research. Actually, they show that these two species, they have by every decade. So uh, what's needed for us to protect those two species is to gather more data and to uh, partner on a long-term scientific expedition that calculated populations of those two dolphins in many points of the Amazon River. And Natalie, tell me, what are the key struggles that these river dolphins face where their population is uh, dwindling in such dramatic fashion? Yeah, this is actually, uh, unfortunately, a reality for uh, all river dolphins around the world. And here in Brazil, it's not different. All of them are on the endangered list, by the way. And here in Brazil, their threat is mostly, uh, well, what we call bycatch. So it's really common for fishermen to catch them on their netting, net techniques for fishing. Uh, also, they are killed just as pests as well because they compete for the fish with the local fishermen. Uh, some other threats such as uh, dams, which is, you know, in Brazil, it's really predominant and that separates uh, the populations and could, you know, the isolation could cause also uh, uh, extinction of that isolated population. Uh, but recently, I mean, relatively recently, uh, in the last 20 years, there is behavior that it's getting more common, uh, which is killing the both river dolphins for bait uh, for a type of fishing of a piracachinga fish, which, which is a kind of a scavenger fish here in Brazil, which is actually illegal uh, to do. Of course, the hunting of those dolphins are illegal to be done, and also the fishing of the piracachinga is illegal for five years now. Wow. Unfortunately, we are on, in a moment of, and actually that uh, moratorium happened because of the detection of this behavior. But this moratorium, this moratorium is lasting until until July this year. So yeah, things are gonna get worse. Wow. If this doesn't continue. So yeah, we are uh, coming to this expedition at the right moment in time, I guess. Yeah. Boy, it sounds like these nice dolphins are up against all kinds of complicated forces. Yeah. So that's really tough. So what will we just have just a moment or so left probably, uh, Natalie, but if the expedition goes as hoped, what will that look like for the dolphins? Yes. Yeah, so uh, if we actually detect that uh, the, you know, the reality we learned from one point 
point of the river is happening in many points of the river, it means that those two species need to have much more severe protection, right? And, and of course, fiscalization. I think that's the most important thing. Uh, so by having a study that proves that they are critically endangered, our hope is that that uh, causes a commotion for a local, the local government and, of course, all the uh, regulatory bodies here uh, to help conserve and preserve them more and you know and stop those all those threats i've been mentioning about yeah that's that's our hope i see so really the expedition and the research related to that will hopefully call attention in a way that the local officials can't really ignore and will kind of force their hand ideally to take some action put in some legislation or regulations etc to protect these dolphins absolutely and i think just the fact that we are uh, expanding this conversation to the to the world i think that's important in itself so so, yeah. you know, raising the, uh, nobody knows about that outside Brazil. Nobody knows, actually, a lot of people don't know inside Brazil that this is happening. So it's it's very important that we raise the conversation. I think we are, just by having, starting the research, we're already having some impact for sure for those two dolphins. And that's great. And along those lines, Natalie, where might people uh, find either a website or social media pages where they could find out more about this uh, campaign and about these dolphins? Absolutely. So they can find on Sea Shepherd website, seashepherd.org. We mm -hmm. have also the Brazilian website, seashepherd.org.br. Both of them have more information about the campaign. You can contribute with your donations. They are actually essential for us to continue the expeditions uh, for the long term. Otherwise, we won't have all the research needed so we can prove they are, you know, in critical danger. Right. Okay, Natalie. Well, gosh, thank you so much for sharing this important information. We'll keep a good thought about the expedition and the outcome that you were uh, hoping for. And we'll uh, keep tabs on things through social media and online as well in the meantime. Absolutely, Duncan. Thank you so thank much you. for this. Thank you. Bye-bye now. All right. My thanks to Natalie Gill for joining us on Talking Animals, feeling us in on the uh, whole situation with the river dolphins in the Amazon and the uh, new campaign to help protect them and uh, beef up their population. So we have just about reached the end of Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa. Public Affairs continues at 11 o'clock and again at noon, and then music kicks back in at 1 o'clock. I'll be back next Wednesday with another edition of Talking Animals. Meanwhile, you can check out uh, social media links, all kinds of other information, all our past shows at TalkingAnimals.net. I'm Dunker Show. Thanks very much for listening. Have a good week. Be kind to animals. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself. This is Talking Animals on WMNF Tampa, Brandon, Clearwater, Largo, Wiki, Watch, and Beyond. NPR News is next.